It's your past first point guard and Trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. We're still three days a week running along in September. Uh, coming to the final week of September, we're going to shift back to five days a week and be the only daily, daily Trailblazers podcast. But for now, make the show your first listen every day whenever we have podcasts. You're listening to Wednesday, September 7th show. Appreciate you listening. We got a fun one for you. Yusuf Nurkic, since last time we spoke, has played two basketball games at Eurobasket, and the Bosnia Herzegovina run came to an end against Lithuania today. Plus, the Blazers add another big man to the training camp roster, Devontae Kaycock. We'll talk about him in the second segment. I got a couple of listener questions to end the show. Let's let's talk Nurk though first. Since we last spoke, uh, the Bosnia upset Slovenia. They're in a position to, if they beat two very good teams at Eurobasket, advance to the uh, elimination round and out of the group stages. But they lose to France, and then they lose to Lithuania on Wednesday. I'm on the East Coast right now, so uh, watching uh, watching these games happen at a normal time. Did not have to wake at 5.30. Just had to watch them while I had breakfast here. Uh both of these games were Nurk played okay, but not super efficient. And I thought he came up against just big, big front lines was the problem. France, he got in foul trouble, picked up three fouls in the first half, including one for flopping. The Euro League's got a rule where you get punished for flopping. Nurk flopped or simulated, as they were calling it on the broadcast, called for a foul, three fouls in that first half, didn't start the second half. But then when he came on in the third quarter, like Bosnia was right in it against a good French team, French, uh, French guard play left a little something to be desired. Uh, and so it was, you know, Bosnia was able to hang in it. In fact, Nurk hit back-to-back threes just over the seven-minute mark, and Bosnia took the lead with seven minutes left. You know, Nurk hadn't played super well, but those two big threes were huge, huge, huge buckets. But then uh, France just kind of found themselves in the late in the game and, and really ratcheted up the defense. Bosnia could not get into easy buckets late against France, and, and they kind of faded. Also, uh, France just played really big. Like, they just played really big uh, at all times with with, with Gobert and uh, with Fall and with... with um, uh, Poyer, like they always basically had two seven footers in the game or, or close to it. I don't know how big Vincent Poyer is listed at, but he's big, like six, six, ten plus. The front, that front line, I think, made it a little bit harder for Nurk to go to work. Um, he'd had a real physical advantage against Slovenia, which doesn't have that crazy size. France's crazy size, or France's just like depth of size, made his day a little bit harder. And then you saw that same thing against Lithuania. Um, the two bigs killed Bosnia's group and, and Herzegovina on, on the glass, Bosnia and Herzegovina on the glass, like uh, Demontis Sabonis and Jonas Valanciunas are both starting quality bigs in the NBA. They've got Izzy Bradzikis, like Lithuania's good, right? They've got three NBA players and some and some some talent. Like this is a team that could conceivably win this whole thing, or at least like will compete amongst the teams that could win this whole thing. Uh, I'm not picking against Luka and Slovenia because they're really good when he wears that jersey. Uh, yeah, but like I think you saw it again in this game. Like Nurk just, uh, you know, without a physical advantage, I thought Sabonis really outplayed him in this game. It happens. Nurk finished with on against Lithuania with 15 points, five boards, and assist, six of 14 from the floor, one of four from three, two of four from the free throw line, shot five of nine inside. Uh, the game really got away from Bosnia in the second quarter where they got outscored by 14. And, and uh, you, you know, like some of that is with Nurk on the bench to begin that quarter. But uh, it's 
the way Bosnia had upset Slovenia is because their outside shooters got hot. John Roberson hit seven threes. He did not have that type of continued hot shooting in this game. Donzin Musa was great. More on him later in the show. But um, yeah, like, again, big physical front line where Nurk couldn't overpower folks uh, and, and Bosnia couldn't win. I, like, my big takeaway is like, yeah, duh, for France is like a, you know, medalist in the Olympics. Lithuania has been really, like, consistently a really competitive nation in, in, in international basketball. The win over Slovenia was really nice, uh, but Lukas shot 0-8 from three, and a uh, Bosnian guard hit seven three-pointers. It's just, like, the magic of uh, magic of shooting. My takeaway from Nurk is, like, this was... Maybe part of me was hoping to see... Um, a Yusuf Nurkic sort of supercharged as a focal point, as someone who knew he was going to be all these things. But some of the stuff that Nurk struggles with showed up here again in this game. Uh, you know, he needed to, there was some times late against Lithuania where he just forced the issue and took some bad shots because he knew his team needed offense. We, we've seen Nurk do that at the, at the NBA level, kind of just um, when things get tight, kind of abandon patience, not stick with what works Uh you know, sometimes you just kind of are what you are. I don't even think that's a really knock against Nurk. They needed him to go to work. He had to be their second best scorer. Um, so he kind of needed to force the issue. They don't have they don't have the guns, right? Like they, they needed Nurk to be that guy. But, um, you know, where he didn't have a physical advantage, he doesn't take his time as much or he or he's or he says, OK, I got the switch. I don't have Sabonis. I don't have JV on me. I'm going to I'm going to go quickly and takes a worse shot than he needed to. Um, Nurk shoots threes in, in EuroLeague, and I think that's, you know, he shoots like four or five a game, uh, shot shot five in this one. I, I hope that in the NBA, Nurk shoots one three a game. One. I, uh, the FIBA line is closer. They need him to be more of the offense, all of these things. Um, maybe if I, you were hoping for more outside touch from Nurk, this, like, this this uh, Eurobasket run didn't do it for you. But for me, like, I don't need to see Nurk shoot any more threes. He was at times a real force on defense. Um, you know, he's the guy for them. Like, he has to hold it down. That's not too dissimilar from what he'll be with the Blazers, where he's asked a big role in sort of anchoring the defense. Um, a team that plays somewhat aggressive on on pick-and-roll coverage and a bunch of zone, and Nurk has to anchor them on both both styles of coverages. That won't really change. Um, but if you were expecting, like, hyper-efficient monster Nurk in uh, repping his home country, you didn't quite get that. He didn't quite get it. He didn't play poorly by any means. He was just inefficient. And some of the inefficiencies is because he was asked to to be, to kind of take charge a little bit more than maybe he's uh, totally comfortable with in terms of offense, particularly against teams with quality NBA centers. Like this isn't low level competition that you wanted um, Nurk to be a bum slayer against. This was like, these weren't bums. These were like freaking Rudy Gobert, Jonas Valanciunas, and Demontis Sabonis. When he played against Mike Toby in Slovenia, he gave Mike Toby the business a little bit. Um, he wasn't super efficient, but he but he was physically dominant in that game and like drawing double teams and making them guard him and all of these things. Like he didn't have that physical advantage and he wasn't nearly as dominant against teams with NBA quality front lines, which is to be expected. He plays against guys who are about as good as him. Um, it's a little bit more challenging. And I, I think, you know, some of it is just like, if Nurk had a better pick and roll partner, he would have looked a little bit better. Dunzamusa is a pretty good pick and roll partner, but he's looking to get downhill. I'm talking like more of like a setup guy, like a, uh, for lack of a better term, a pass first point guard. So this game against Lithuania was winner take all. The group would go like the winner of this would advance out of the group and go to the knockout stages. 
Bosnia came up short, ended up down as many as 20 in the third quarter, and this really didn't challenge late in late in this game. You know, I think they were they were within uh, eight or 11 in the fourth quarter, and 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 Bosnia gets a or and, and Lithuania gets a big three, and it's a 14 point game with 60 seconds left, and see ya. Like that was that. Um, certainly, I certainly enjoyed watching Nurk in this in this setting. I enjoyed watching Nurk against high level competition. I've just enjoyed EuroBasket in general. It's really high level basketball, uh, and I would have. I would have enjoyed seeing a little more, a little more Nurk um, playing, but I don't think losing to France, Lithuania, two top-level teams, is something that you can really ding him against. These are top-level teams for a reason. Certainly, more NBA talent than he's rolling with, rolling with on Bosnia. That's the end of of, of summer Nurk, September Nurk. We will see him again when the Blazers open training camp in a little less than three weeks. What I want to talk about in the second segment is who's going to join Nurk in training camp. The Blazers have added another name. Devonte Kaycock joins the program, and also Norvell Pell no longer on the team. Something that happened about within moments of me recording the last podcast. Let's talk all about that in the second segment. Before we do that, I want to tell you about Bill Bar, best tasting protein bar that there is. If you need a little extra fuel, if you need something that packs real protein but isn't a you know high caloric intake but still tastes great and gives you that little bit of sweetness that you might be craving check out Built Bar. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They come in a whole bunch of different flavors, some short timers or some staples. My personal favorites are staples like peanut butter brownie and cookies and cream. I like them because they pack on average 17 grams of protein with 140 calories and just four net carbs because they have less than five grams of sugar. Packing a punch, tastes great. Go get yourself some. And here's a big one. For a long time, I've been telling you a promo code, but they've updated the promo code. So update it. Locked on 15 at built.com. It's going to save you 15%. That's locked on 15 to save 15% at built.com. All right. So we're not going to see Blazers play competitive basketball till they get on the practice court and maybe we get flashes of them at training camp down in Santa Barbara and they start playing preseason games in October but we do know some people who are going to join the program we'll talk about Devontae Kaycock in just a second but first a mea culpa or really just a a bummer timing for your boy uh recording uh, when I was recording um Monday's show that I recorded on Sunday morning out here and then and then posted shortly like posted basically right as as I was watching the end of that Bosnia-Slovenia game. Basically, as I was hitting publish or as I was hitting stop on the recording, the Blazers announced that they had waived big man Norvell Pell. So I talked about all in that... Um, all in that episode how Olivier Saar was going to compete with Pell and then less than 15 minutes after I finished recording this, the, the Pell news came out and I had actually... I didn't end up publishing this episode till a few hours later because I wanted to hold it off and do some editing and et cetera, et cetera. But I totally missed it and the timing stunk. It stunk for me. I'm not like, woe is me or whatever, but like, yeah, Norvell Pell, if you listen to the last podcast, not on the team anymore. The Blazers have officially waived him. No reporting on why, um, you know, but he's no longer there. So they've they've added another big to come in and in, in, in camp. Am I worried that they're going to wave Olivier Saar as I do this podcast and then I'm going to find out like yeah, yes, I'm, I'm I'm worried by that, but that's just the nature of the beast. Uh 5 days a week you can clean it up, 3 days a week you have a little longer tail of having an incorrect some incorrect information out on the airwaves. So, Olivier Saar, a 7-foot big man they added that we talked about that on Sunday show, but they've added another guy, Devonte Kaycock, who is a 6'10 big, like he's a center. He's not maybe not giant center size, or excuse me, 6'8, 6'9 depending on where he's listed. 6'8 is where I've seen. I've seen him as small as from 6'7 to 6'9 depending on what roster and what database. But, you know, uh, 
a smaller guy, but he's he's power forward center type. Um, he doesn't have much outside shooting. That's why I kind of um, hasn't made a three in his his parts of three NBA season. Has attempted three in parts of his NBA season. So he's he's played a little power forward with with the Spurs to be sure. He wasn't always the biggest guy on the floor, but a big man, a big man, Devonte Kaycock, who he's. Uh, He's played in parts of three seasons with the came up with the Lakers and spent uh, you know part of one season and then and part of the next with the Lakers and then last season played a portion of that season uh, with the Spurs. Thirty six NBA games in total, averaging two point five points, two point two rebounds, and six point three minutes. Uh, this is just big man depth. Uh, I don't you know I knew of Kaycock as like a, an end of the bench name for the Lakers when they won the title in the bubble, um, but not much else about him. Uh, you know he's he's. He's he went to UNC Wilmington, go Seahawks. But um yeah, like this is the Blazers need frontline depth. They have 14 roster spots. They're gonna with they have one NBA roster spot, 14 players, and when the 15th roster spot is open, I don't think they're gonna add to that roster spot. These are all guys who are gonna be gonna be competing for a two-way spot. Brandon Williams has taken the first two-way spot. The way two ways work, certainly conceivable that Brandon Williams could be waived, but I think he's shown enough to to like the Blazers should hang on to him and say like you know he's he's got some a little he can't shoot but he's got a little bit of he's got a lot of downhill juice as a driver and certainly is like a, a reasonable emergency point guard that they found last year um, and it should probably hold down that two way spot. So you're talking about basically there's some other guys you know they've they've brought Isaiah Miller who's a point guard and 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 Jared Roden who's like a 6'6 wing and then two bigs right now with Kaycock and uh, Olivier Saar who's a seven footer with a little bit of outside range I think it's between Kaycock and Saar for that last uh two-way spot would be my presumption is that they'll have bigs come in and, and compete for it we'll see what happens conceivably they could add two conceivably they could add three and add one to the to the end of the uh NBA roster, but I don't think they will do that. I don't not. I think they will carry fourteen into the regular season for flexibility and financial reasons, and they will just add one of these training camp guys, most likely a big man, to to the uh, to the to that second two way spot. Uh, if I had to lean one direction, like I don't, this, like I could, we can just wait and see what they look like in training camp, et cetera, et cetera. But if I had to lean one direction, I would go Sar because I think they they could use a true center if need be, but Kaycock can play center in the league. Like he's, he's enough of the right size to play center in the league. And I think, um, you could, you could sort of get away with it. Um, and Saar probably can't play power forward. So if you, you have less defensive versatility there, right. Or less just positional versatility there. Uh, you know, the, the Portland needs frontline depth. They need help. Either one of these guys is like a, is like a, hey, if things go wrong, you need to play type of option, not someone competing for regular playing time. So if it is Kaycock or Sar, regardless, I think it's fine. But as we go into training camp, that's the, that's the matchup to monitor is which big guy wins a two-way spot. And if they don't go a big way, a, a big with that two-way spot, a big way, if they don't go a big with a two-way spot, it's like, hmm. Now, why did they do that? It is a true Brian Winyard's confusion. That'll be something we monitor as training camp kicks off uh, the last week of September. All right. Let's close the show with a couple listener questions. We've got a mini mailbag here on Wednesday's show. Join me in the third segment, won't you? Still a pass first point guard. I'm still Mike Richmond. You are still listening to Locked on Blazers. Talk to Nurk. The end of his... Eurobasket tours come to an end. We talked Devontae Kaycock, 
6'8", big man who's going to compete for training camp minutes. But I got some other questions from listeners. The first one I've got from a bunch of people. The the the, the I'll shout out Marcus for sending me this one. Thanks to Marcus for sending me this one. But I've seen it like as posed on. Uh, I saw it posted on r slash Rip City on Reddit. I, someone tweeted it at me. I got um, uh, a couple of people tweeted at me. A couple of people mentioned it in the, or someone mentioned it in the YouTube comments. Like, this is something that is on Blazer fans' mind. But Marcus sent this directly to the email, lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. If you want to send a question, that is the best way to do so. Lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. Marcus asks, could Dons and Musa help the Blazers? In so many words, it was a little longer than that. But Don Zamusa is a 6'9 forward who's playing for the Bosnian national team who was awesome. Awesome at EuroLeague. Like, so far and away, Bosnia's best player. Finished averaging 21.4 points on 70% true shooting. He was wild. 50, 40, 86 from the, on your shooting splits. Um, like, he was so, so, so good good on offense. He is big at six foot nine, but he's probably more three than four. Like I recognize that the, the differentiators between the forward positions matter less and less in the modern NBA. But, but, but for my money, like the differentiate, like the thing I'm drawing is that he's not a big bruising four type. Like he's much more three who could play up as opposed to like, he's more of a, just like a, a slashing wing than he is like a, a posty big man. He played four. Like he was the second tallest guy in the court. He's a front court player for sure. Um, he was awesome. You know, he's a former first round pick, 29th overall pick by the, by the Brooklyn Nets that just didn't, didn't stick in the league and has since gone back to Europe where he's been a very productive player. And, and this summer signed a two year deal to remain or to join Real Madrid. Like, he would, I don't, I couldn't find the details reported of, of, of that uh, pact he made with Real Madrid, but he has likely, if you are signing at the top level of Europe with a massive club like Real, uh, like you're just making more money than you would as on a smaller deal with in the NBA, certainly more money than a minimum. And coming in now, he would probably start at a minimum. Like he's, he, maybe he could, he could bump up above that and get somebody's mid-level money somewhere in there, but he's not making seven, eight, ten million dollars a year. We're talking like the difference in two million and some change and three million and some change. He might have to take a pay cut. And if he doesn't have to take a pay cut, he's going to have to take a roll cut, likely to be in the NBA. The line between star in Europe and starter in the NBA is very, 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 very thin. But if you're not a starter in the league and you're a bench guy or a rotation guy, you're the eighth, ninth man, it's... It's probably just not as nice quality of life. You don't, you know, and it's such a smaller role and the money's not that different. Like it's, do I think Don Zamusa is an NBA player from watching him play three consecutive Eurobasket games now closely? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's got, um, he can shoot it. He's got some uh, passing chops. He can get to the rim and he's six foot nine with a handle. Like, uh, yes, that is an NBA player. But what level of NBA player is it and is it enough for him to convince him to leave where he's at? I don't know. Like, I, I would assume no, right? Like, I would assume I would assume that Real Madrid and the role he has in, at Real Madrid is, like, a better job than he would get in the league. Could he help the Blazers, which is really Marcus's question? Yeah. Yes. 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 Like, would I rather have... I, 
kind of the way I'm thinking about it. It's like, would I rather have Donzin Musa or Jabari Walker for immediately next season? I, I think Musa's probably a better basketball player. He's 23 years old. Like, he's still young and really good. Um, he could help. Jabari Walker is like, you know, maybe a better, certainly for my money, like uh, looks like a better rebounder, maybe potentially a more versatile defender. But like, if you're talking like immediate helper, Musa, obviously you're not making that choice. Like if you were to add Blazers have an open roster spot, they could just give Musa the money and and have him have him join the program if they so choose. He'd have to get out of his two year agreement with Real Madrid. And I don't really understand all the politics of that, quite frankly. A recently signed contract with Madrid. I'm not sure that they would let him just cancel it and join the NBA. They probably want a good basketball player on the good 23 year old basketball player on their team as well. But to answer the simple question, could he help the Blazers? Yes, absolutely, absolutely could. Like to me, he looks like a like a quality NBA player. Um, you know, I'm not like talking like I haven't scouted him super closely, and I've mostly just watched the Bosnia games at Eurobasket um, with a handful of like late you know, minutes and, and some highlight stuff from, from the other folks. Uh, but like, yeah, yes, I think he's an NBA player that, but being NBA quality and having interest in being a role player in the league is very, very different. Um, could he help? Yes. Will he come over? It seems unlikely. seems like he's got a really good gig over in the second best league in the world in Spain for one of the top teams in that league with Real Madrid. Um, you know, he's, it didn't work for him in the league. It's hard to stick. And then once, you know, do you want to continue to be a journeyman and bounce around? Or do you want to play closer to home where you have a bigger role in Europe and in a really, really competitive league? I think uh, Musa's got it figured out signing with Real Madrid. Final question of the show. This one comes from my dad. Uh, the, fun, the good thing about being at his house he can ask me the podcast questions in person, and he posed this to me this morning. He said in, in his, you know, he's not a diehard Blazer fan, he's not, but he listens to the podcast, regularly listens to the Lockdown Blazers. Appreciate you listening, Dad. Uh, appreciate you posting this to me at breakfast as well. But um, basically, the Blazers have typically come in with relatively high expectations over the last uh, four or five seasons, right? Like, this is a team that's supposed to win 45-ish games, compete for the second round of the playoffs, compete for a Western Conference Finals. This year, it appears that the expectations have shifted from his perception from, you know, borderline playoff team to a couple different sports books saying that the Blazers won't even win half their games. Um, you know, the projection for, of them winning somewhere like 37 to 40 games is like mostly where the betting lines are. So, the perception of change. And what my dad asked was, when's the last time that they wildly outperformed expectations? Not just outperformed, but like significantly outperformed expectations. And to me, the most recent time that they did that was the 2015-16 season. That was the summer that LaMarcus Aldridge left. And the Blazers entered that season projected to win 27 and one half games, a number that the team certainly remembered when the Westgate book that ESPN uses posted a headline that, that that gave all the odds and it was 27 and a half games. Maybe our good friends at Bet Online were a little closer to the actual line, which ended up being at 44 games. But certainly the team remembered that and when they out when they outperformed that over underline by nearly 17 full games. It was a talking point in the locker room. Who what what did they think of us? In fact, I remember a moment when we were, I was doing a story um, about how the Blazers had exceeded expectations late in the season and they were headed towards the playoffs and all these things. And I was talking to Ed Davis. Uh, we, a group of us was talking to Ed Davis, maybe three reporters in the corner were talking to Ed Davis' corner locker stall. And he was saying, 
he was joking him doing the interview he started to walk away and he said i said well you didn't you didn't think you would be here ed because he was saying like what y'all doubted us too blah 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 i said well you didn't think you'd be here ed he goes hell no i thought we'd be on vacation this time of year and instead they went and played the clippers in the playoffs ended up winning that series and making making the second round of the playoffs and and playing playing a really good Warriors team tough and losing in five games with the Warriors called the toughest five game series ever and it was starting the string of losses to the Warriors in the playoffs. In some ways, this season reminds me of that run. It reminds me of that run for two reasons. One, the exodus of a staple and a very good player. Lamarcus Aldridge is much was much better in 2015 than, than CJ McCollum is in 2022. But the but a long time era, the Damon Lamarcus era coming to an end. The Damon CJ era coming to an end. There's some parallels there. And the sort of waiting in the wings next guy ready to pick up and be Dame's running mate. The way it was CJ McCollum and he won MIP that season is Anthony Simons, who could conceivably win MIP this season, is ready to step into a bigger role and prove that when he's been so good in smaller samples, he's ready to expand that to 82 games and be a beast. It was CJ's breakout year and he was basically that good for you know, the following seven seasons. Like, he, he he was really good that year, and that became his sort of new level of play. Anthony Simons is heading into something very similar. In addition, there was just a massive roster overhaul that year, heading into that 15-16 season. Um, that wasn't the summer of 2016 when they signed Evan Turner and doubled down on everything, but it was adding Ed Davis, adding Al Farouk Aminu, you know, letting go of the core of Wes Matthews and Robin Lopez and Nick Batum and um, and LaMarcus Aldridge and, and building rebuilding around Dame. It's not quite as dramatic this year, but if you look at starting what the what the roster started with last season to what the roster started with this season, it's a dramatic turnover. In some ways those these those two years, I don't know if they mirror each other, but there are there are some obvious obvious similarities. The Blazers are picked like I said, uh, you know, Bet Online has them uh, at 40 and a half is their over under. A losing team, right? If you take the if you if you take the under, a losing team, a team that loses more games than they win, and if you take the over, a team right at five hundred. Obviously, the over is infinite, right? But a team right at five hundred, it's not infinite. They play eighty-two games, Michael. They could go eighty-two and oh, that's the most wins they could have. You dummy. Um, I think the Blazers for my for for my money, uh, I think the Blazers are likely to outperform that over under. I don't think they're wildly going to outperform it, but if you believe that there are parallels to that 2015 season, I don't think the Blazers are going to win 57 and be 17 games games over their their projected over under, but I think they have a chance to be they have the talent if everything if they stay healthy and things break right to be better, notably better. You know, I I think I think realistic ceiling, and maybe you're maybe you're a bigger believer than me, but realistic ceiling seems like 48 wins. I think that's a little high. I I, I know some people out there are saying this team could win 54 games. You know it. I don't think that. So uh, we just disagree there. But like, yeah, like this team has a chance to outperform their over under. They have a chance to, with a revamped roster built again in, around Dame, around Dame part part two, the remix with a up and coming young guard who's ready to step into a bigger role. This is a team that is on a course not too dissimilar from the course in 2015 that set off a you know a bunch of years of being really competitive and culminated with the 2019 Western Conference Finals run after some ups and downs along the way over those other five seasons. They're entering a new era. The last time they had were, were this doubted was another time of entering a new era. The unknown is hard for the betting markets and hard for the outside folks to grok. I think there's reason to be excited about this new era. 
regardless, whether you are more pessimistic than me or much more optimistic than I am, this is the place that's going to have you covered. Uh, we're going to start our season previews of players heading into the season of this week, end of this week and, and next week. Friday's show, we will look at a season preview of Anthony Simons. Is he ready to take the jump? In many ways, the bellwether for this season. If Ant's ready... This team's going to be pretty darn good. He's among, among the most important players on the Blazers roster this season. We'll start with him in our season previews on Friday's show and continue with more next week. So do me a favor and tell your friends about this podcast. The way people find out about podcasts is in in market advertising <laughs> is advertising for the show that you're going to hear right after this one plays. Uh, go listen to our sister our sister shows. Go check out Locked on NBA Big Board. They're doing a great job. Shout out to Raphael Barlow. But Word of mouth. Tell your friends about the show. If you enjoy the show and you have friends who are Blazer fans, say, hey, I like Lockdown Blazers. You should check it out. That's that's the best way to help the show. I appreciate you listening. And I will talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>